This is a download from News Talk 106 to 108. To download other programs or for more information, go to newstalk.ie. Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. And you're very welcome back to Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108 with me, Susan Cahill. If you want to get in contact with the show, why don't you send me an email at talkingbooks at newstalk.ie or if there's something you've missed on the show, well, why don't you go to our website at www.newstalk.ie forward slash talking books. There's lots of podcasts there for you and loads of suggestions for what to read. Now on to a very, very tantalising and somewhat bizarre and exotic British writer. Angela Carter is one of those writers that will never go out of fashion. Her stories and characters are wonderfully provocative, courageous sensual and are not exactly prude and I have to say make for riveting reading. And what's interesting about this talented British writer is that her books and characters appeal to both men and women. Well, earlier in the week, Sarah Keating, journalist with both the Irish Times and Sunday Business Post, popped into me and explained why she believes Angela Carter deserves to be recognised as one of the greatest British writers of all time. Angela Carter is a British writer who began writing in the 1960s and was a real product of the radical feminist movement that kind of took over culturally in Britain from the 1960s forward. The main reason that I'm so interested in her is because of her style. She was hugely influenced by the surrealist movement and that is reflected in her body of work which ranges from kind of expressionistic coming of age treatments of adolescent sexuality to some of the best versions of fairy tales that I've ever read. And her female characters are absolutely extraordinary. She writes predominantly about women. Her whole inspiration really was to explore female desire in a way that she thought had been neglected by the British tradition that she was writing from, which was a male dominated tradition that privileged male sexuality. So she was interested in taking canonical myths and stories and transforming them by writing them from a female perspective. So one of her most interesting books is The Bloody Chamber. Can you give listeners a brief background to The Bloody Chamber and a a bit about the plot? The stories in The Bloody Chamber all are all familiar to us from childhood. We have Bluebeard, Little Red Riding Hood, Beauty and the Beast, and they're all being retold, sometimes in different versions, being placed side by side with each other. The Bloody Chamber is a retelling of, of the Bluebeard story, which is a story about a young girl who's abducted by an older man and kind of initiated into sexual practices and in the end is rescued by a male hero who she then falls in love with, giving us what we think of as our happy ever afters. That would be the traditional fairy tale tellings. In Angela Carter's version, she's actually rescued by her mother and also the female protagonist enjoys some of the sexual intercourse that she has, obviously not in the the particular circumstances. But in doing those two things, it actually, I suppose, gives the power more to the female characters rather than placing them in a position of submission, which they usually would be. And of course, the Irish film director Neil Jordan was a big fan of Angela Carter and used one of those stories in that book for his movie In the Company of Wolves. He did. In The Bloody Chamber, there are two different versions of the Red Riding Hood fairy tale, and he uses one of those for his film, The Company of Wolves. I suppose their imaginations would be very similar. Angela Carter really drew from a gothic sensibility, which again would traditionally have placed females in very submissive roles. So by empowering her female character within that, she manages to create a different version of that fairy tale. 
the landscapes of her fairy tales, particularly in the Bloody Chamber, are these kind of chilly, icy, arctic landscapes, very foggy, kind of moorish, wuthering heights. And of course, in Knights of the Circus, her other book, the characters visit St. Petersburg and Siberia. That's true. Her two novels that she's best remembered for are Knights of the Circus and uh, Wise Children, which were actually her two last novels that she wrote. And in Knights of the Circus, the action moves from London to St. Petersburg. So she was very much inspired, I suppose, by the sterility of that landscape and also some of the imagery of blood on ice and blood on snow that's uh, very dramatic. And the Bloody Chamber is very radical in its type of feminism. I think that's true, although Angela Carter would have resisted labels like radical feminism, even though she would have acknowledged, I suppose, the culture in which she grew up in and how important that was in shaping her literature. But to just give two examples, and I think this is where she was so genius with The Bloody Chamber, was in placing two different versions of the same story side by side. And in particular, in Beauty and the Beast, we have the courtship of Mr. Lion placed directly beside another version of Beauty and the Beast called The Tiger's Bride. And in the courtship of Mr. Leon, we have the beauty character being given to the beast as a prize for her father's taking the kindness of the beast. And instead of the very, I suppose, Disney version that we would traditionally have grown up with from the 1950s onwards, we have the female character slowly taking on the characteristics of the beast. And in fact, she actually transforms herself into a beast in order to consummate her relationship with him. So that really changes the way in which we read the story. He's he's not transformed into a beautiful prince that we can empathise with humanly. We actually see her embracing her more savage, her bestial qualities. And actually that really does give the onus of power to her rather than to him. And when we move to Knights of the Circus, she really pushes the boundaries of female characters and the idea of story and the development of story. Can we talk a bit about the character of Sophie Fevers? Sophie's a remarkable character. She plays it very left field. Well, by the time Angela Carter was writing Knights of the Circus and her later book, Wise Children, she was really interested in blending, I suppose, those fairy tale elements of her earlier work with real life situations. So what you have is an extraordinarily surreal environment created in those two books. Sophie Fevers, for example, is born from an egg by unknown parents. She has wings and she eventually becomes co-opted into the circus where she performs as part of their freak show. And that very much places her in an extraordinary universe, but she's surrounded by real characters. And in Knights of the Circus, Angela Carter creates a love interest for her, a journalist figure who follows her to St. Petersburg. They kind of begin this odyssey together. So it's really juxtaposing this fantastical world with the real life world. Many people would kind of classify her as a magic realist, which was something that she actually really resisted. She said that that belonged to a Latin American tradition that had nothing to do with the British tradition. And in Knights of the Circus and the later book, Wise Children, she was really using Shakespearean stories as a type of fairy tale archetype that she was then drawing and reinventing. So instead of drawing from that kind of more universal canon of myth, she was drawing from a very specific English mythical tradition associated with Shakespeare. But really shaking it up. Yeah, I mean, putting her female characters into these extraordinary uh, situations, writing quite graphically for the time about sex as well, I think um, is very much part of that. When we were talking earlier, you mentioned that men have loved the novels of Angela Carter just as much as women. Yes, I think when you read about her work, one's natural inclination would be to dismiss her as a female, I'm putting that in inverted commas, 
author, as in somebody who's writing merely for women. However, I think that she, in reality, is very much a universally appreciated writer, although she's writing about female characters and from a female perspective. Her style very much appeals to both a male and a female audience. And of course, she wrote children's books, non-fiction books. One interesting one is on the Marquise de Sade. But one that I was particularly interested in is Wise Children. It was her last book. She wrote it when she was dying in her early 50s. Now, I'm an identical twin, and this is about two performance artists, Dora and Nora Chance. It's an incredible story about family, about relationships, about illegitimacy and other issues. Can you tell me about it? It's interesting for me because my own background would be theatre and people would have naturally assumed that would be the book that I entered into my relationship with Angela Carter, which wasn't true at all. I read her very first book first, which is a book called The Magic Toy Shop from 1967. And in fact, it was actually the last book of hers that I read, despite the fact that it drew on so many things that I was interested in. The story is the story of... uh, I suppose, a theatrical patriarchy. We have an ageing father. He's It's his 100-year birthday. He's kind of the very typical dominating father approaching his 100th birthday with kind of King Lear-type tendencies. And he has two young daughters, Nora and Dora Chance, identical twins, who have followed the family's performance tradition. And they're 75 and they're looking back at the story of their family and the status of their lives within the family. Yes, I suppose the retrospective kind of glance that these two characters have puts us again in the kind of coming of age narrative that she writes so well. So the sense of how do we become the type of people that we are. So in their dotage now, and they're reflecting back on all of their different adventures. And she writes brilliantly about performance because of the kind of grotesquerie involved, I suppose, in that sense of nebulous division between fact and fiction, and also how that reflects upon a person's identity. And Dora and Nora have very different, I suppose, tellings of their family story, which is interesting for identical twins. Yes, or no. Um, I mean, the whole nature of memory is subjective and They are identical twins, so they share a similar physicality, but they share different perspectives on life and they see things with different eyes. And in many ways, I think it really goes back to the way in which Angela Carter saw these different versions of fairy tales as well. So this idea that there isn't one stable truth or one stable narrative, that it's merely the way in which we tell them. So despite their shared experience, Nora and Dora are two different characters and they have two different understandings of their past and two different relationships with their father. One of her biggest projects that she did was for Virago, where she actually collected world myths together in the Angela Carter's Book of Fairy Tales, which was reissued by Virago a couple of years ago in a sumptuous edition. For some readers of that book, I I remember the first time I sat down to read it, I found it very difficult because she had so many different versions of the same story from different cultures, different traditions, not just the Western narrative tradition, but from Africa, Iceland, Finland, and the same archetypes, the same types of female characters, the same roles in which we would associate women with were dominant throughout this. And I think that the way in which that inspired her, I suppose, to in some ways keep telling Telling the same stories, but just telling them radically different and in each way providing them with different energies. Now, Sarah, Angela Carter died from cancer at 51. She was very, very young. But Angela Carter was a very insightful and very wise woman. And she some of the statements that she made were incredibly interesting. And I think you're going to read out one. Yes, it links back to this idea of, 
I suppose even this idea of Joseph Campbell's Seven Ages of Man, which argues that there's only seven stories in the world and it just depends on who's going to interpret them. But she was challenged in an interview just before she died, which she'd given with BBC Three's book show at the time, where they were asked about her continual return to the fairy tale and to the same myths. She said, I like fairy tales because I won't write anything unless I know what's going to happen before I start. Maybe that's cheating or maybe it's part of the oral tradition that I would have grown up with. And I think that really emphatically puts the emphasis on the fact that it's not the story, it's the telling. And for me, she is, her tellings are so vivid, so atmospheric, so emotionally moving and just so joyous to read that for me makes her a writer whose work has really lasted. And for anyone starting out with Angela Carter, what book should they turn to first? What would be the one you'd first recommend? If you don't mind a bit of gore, I would recommend The Bloody Chamber, which remains my favourite, or Wise Children, which was her last book, which was published the year before she died. And that was Sarah Keating, arts and culture journalist, joining me there discussing the iconic British writer Angela Carter. Coming up next, we're going to beat the January woes and receive a bit of creative inspiration from best-selling author, teacher and motivator. Sir Ken Robinson. Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. Thanks for listening to this News Talk 106 to 108 podcast. To download other programs or for more information, go to newstalk.ie.